Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. All right, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because there's evil, their evil has come up before me. This is God talking. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. I want you to notice something in your Bible. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we just get an opportunity to come and study your word and we get to learn together. We get to grow together. I pray today, Father, that the Holy Spirit would just do just incredible work in our hearts and minds today. I pray that we would not only just get information and head knowledge, I pray that we would be transformed by the preaching of your word. God, speak to where it is that we are in our individual walks with you and where we are corporately. And so, Lord, we just Lean on you today, God. Help us to learn, help us to study, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Lord, I pray um, for people who may be here distracted, who may be dealing with issues, and life may be on fire around them. Lord, I pray that you give peace today through the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can just sit under your word and grow together. And, and we pray that your son Jesus will be made known today. It's in his name we pray, and the people of God said, amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series, Jonah, my sermon series will be entitled, God's Scandalous Mercy and Why It Matters. God's Scandalous Mercy and Why It Matters. In 2002, Steven Spielberg directed a film entitled, Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and legendary actor Tom Hanks. The movie portrays the alleged real-life exploits and eventual capture of a teenage con artist by the name of Frank Abagnale. DiCaprio plays Frank Abagnale Jr., a young man who grows up in New York City And during a traumatic event in his life, the divorce of his parents, he runs away from home and becomes a traveling con artist. He devises several cons, uh, several exploits that that are just unbelievable, including becoming an airline pilot without ever going to flight school. He becomes a doctor and he never went to medical school. He becomes a lawyer, but he never went to law school. He eventually becomes also a check scammer, and he does all of these things. He's literally a co-pilot for Pan American Airlines. He's also a real-life doctor in the ER, but hadn't went to medical school and doesn't know how to work on anybody. He also is a lawyer and never went to law school, all because he's a good con artist, and he does all of these exploits, a pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer, without ever going to school, all at the age of 17 years old. This story, however, chronicles the pursuit, 
the pursuit uh, of an FBI agent by the name of Carl Hanratty, who's played by Tom Hanks, who chases Frank Abagnale all over the country and in Europe. But here's the interesting thing. Both men know that this could only go on but for so long, that they both knew that eventually Frank was going to get caught. The interesting perspective was that no matter where he ran, Carl Hanratty always showed up. No matter where he went or how far he went, Carl was always right there. He eventually gets caught, as we knew he would, and sent to lock up down in a cold, dark prison. But years later, on a visit from two FBI agents, one including Carl Hanratty, there is an interesting, unexpected turn of events. He is actually helping them from prison identify other con artists and how they pull off their cons. But with that being said, here's the interesting turn of events. Frank Abnickdale, the former fugitive who was on the run and got caught, is offered a second chance. And instead of life in prison, Frank Abnigail is offered a job with the FBI in the FBI's financial crimes unit. Now, once again, you hear this. This guy's never gone to school before. He's gone from a doctor, a lawyer, an airline pilot, and now he's working for the FBI. All because he's a con artist. But at the end of this job offer, before he accepts, he asks one question. Under whose custody will I be? And Tom Hanks' character says nothing, but he silently raises his hand to confirm that you'll be actually working under me. And he ends up working for the same man that he spent years running from. This is not just the story of Frank Abnicknell and, and Carl Hanratty. No, this is also the story of Jonah. And, and it reveals to us that God is always a step ahead and that no matter how far we run, we can never outrun God. This is what this reveal. It also speaks to the sovereignty of God, meaning that God rules and reigns, that we're never out of the reach of God, no matter how far we run. We're never out of the, the reach of God's sovereign hand, but it doesn't only reveal to us the sovereignty of God. What the story also reveals to us is the mercy of God, the mercy of God that gives second chances to undeserving sinners like you and I. And so there's a couple things that we're going to look at today in the text. We're going to look at the call of God, number one. Number two, we're going to look at the commission of God. And then we're going to look at the critical nature of disobedience of God's call. And so I want to start off first. The first thing in the text, we can easily just get to Jonah, right? But, but I want to say and read chapter 1, verse 1. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And so at the beginning of the outset, it lets us know that God is taking center stage. The story of Jonah is not about a big old fish. The story of Jonah is not even about Jonah. The story of Jonah is about God. The story of Jonah is about this sovereign and merciful God, and God takes center stage. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, meaning the God that speaks and brings dead things to life speaks into the life of Jonah. Let me say this at the outset. 
The only reason you and I are saved is because of the word of the Lord, meaning somebody spoke God's word and we responded to it by faith, believing what was said about what God has done for us. That is how we are saved. And so when God speaks a word, things come to life. And so you know you've read the scripture that says the God who speaks things that are not as though they were. That means that God can speak things into existence, but we can't. I just want to say that for all my manifestors in the room. You've been manifesting your destiny, manifesting your future, speaking things that are not as though they were. That does not belong to you. That only belongs to God. It's God's sovereign ability to bring life to those things. And the same God that spoke life into existence is the same God that took us from death to life in our spiritual life. And so if you're in Christ today, it is not because of anything that you did. It's because of the word of the Lord that was preached to you. And God has the right to command us, number one, because he is the creator. And number two, he is also the recreator. He created us at the outset, but then he recreated us in Christ if we're saved. So God who creates has a right to command because he is the God who initiates the call. We didn't go looking for God. God came and got us. He initiates the call. So if God created you and then he recreated you in Christ Jesus, he has the right to command you to do what he wants you to do. Which means God reserves the right to tell us where to go. And see, some of you are like, oh, man, I don't, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't like that part. I don't like that God can say whatever, and I just have to do it. Well, here's the thing. You should be glad that God says anything to you. We don't deserve for God to talk to us, and we don't deserve for God to use us to do anything because God has brought us from death to life. And you know the thing about dead people? Dead people can't hear. The reason that you can hear is because God has made you alive. And if God has made you alive, he gets first dibs on your life and telling you what to do. That's the call of God. Second thing is the commission of God. And he says in verse 2, get up, get up. I have to say aloud because there's an exclamation point there. God didn't whisper. He's like, get up, Jonah, wake up. No, no, this is a, a, you late for school, your mom walks in the room and turns all the lights on and pulls the cover off of you type of get up. Do I got a witness in here? This is that kind of get, get up and go, not to school, but go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up to me. And so, so, so jo- Jonah's case, he's got to get up. And go to Nineveh. Let me give you just a small backstory on Jonah. Jonah is from a place called Gath Hepper. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. During the reign of Solomon, David's son, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Judah was to the south, and Israel was to the north, and both had their own prophets. Jonah is prophet in the northern kingdom and he's a prophet during the reign of an evil king by the name of Jeroboam II and so Jonah is prophesying during the reign of somebody who was ungodly he's actually one of the worst kings in Israel's history we'll look back at 2nd Kings chapter 14 because it provides us a clear context of Jonah's origins and Jonah's prophetic ministry but what is interesting about the book of Jonah than the other minor prophets or the 12 prophets in the Old Testament is Jonah's the only one whose story seems like a biography rather than his ministry and what he was called to do it tells us about Jonah's 
own personal life and struggle. Jonah was already a prophet, so he's no stranger to having and received an assignment from God. But more times than not, when God does give us an assignment, we're typically uncomfortable with it. God tends to give us the last thing that we would ever want to do. You can't find a scripture where God calls somebody and they're like, yes. He doesn't just call Jonah to go anywhere. He calls him to go to a place called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast, northeast of Israel. Here's what you need to know about Nineveh. Nineveh represents the Assyrian Empire. They are a superpower of the day. This is so, so important. The Assyrians are a brutal and violent group of people. Whenever they took over a land, they didn't just go and reason with people. They went to destroy people. These were the type of people who were so savage and so brutal that when they went into a town or went into the place, they decapitated people's heads, they, they dismembered people's body parts, and then they would make those people's family members grab their decapitated parts, hold them up on a pole, and walk them through town. So that'd be like somebody cut your sister's head off and you got to carry it through town. This is the way that they would humiliate people. They would would fillet people's skin, meaning meaning that they would peel your skin off your body while you were alive and wait to die and hang your skin up on the wall for all to see. This is the brutality that that, that the Assyrians executed on their enemies. They they would even kill adolescents. They, They were a crazy group of people. And during the reign of Judah, They were not as powerful as they had been in the past. They had went through a little bit of a drought, but they were trying to get their stuff together. Now, I want to give you a a little long in the future, 30 years after Jonah prophesied, Assyrian finally does get their stuff together. They come back and do just what everybody in Israel was afraid that they would do. And so these are people that are not to be played with. At some point, some believe that they were already exacting tribute from Israel, meaning that they were already taking money from Israel, like Israel was paying Assyria to keep Assyria off their back. They didn't want no problems, so they just gave them the money. This is what is happening during the reign of Judah, uh, the reign of Jonah. And so this is the context that God sends him in to speak to the Ninevites. These were an enemy to Israel. These were not just any old enemy. These were the the city of Nineveh was synonymous with the devil himself. This was the type of place when you heard about Nineveh, Israelites would have a visceral emotional reaction to the word. You ever hear something about something that happened to you in your past or you hear the mention of somebody's name and it just does to your body? Or you just remember some past traumatic event that you had and, and your body actually responds to something even though you're, you're not there anymore. This is what would have happened at the mention of the name of Nineveh. And this is where he is sending Jonah to preach. He's sending him to the people that harmed his people and the people that would harm his people in the future. And so this is not an easy assignment. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Their evil has come up before me. God, God is saying, go warn them. Tell them to repent. Tell them that they need to turn. I can't take their evil any longer. I'm going to bring my judgment. God wanted to show these undeserving sinners mercy by sending somebody to preach to them. This would be like sending a modern-day Israeli to go to Tehran in Iran and stand on the busiest street corner and tell them, repent! 
burn. This is like telling a, a Ukrainian minister to go to St. Petersburg in Russia today and stand on the business corner and tell all of the, of the Russians, repent. This would be like telling somebody, a minister in South Korea, to go to North Korea and go in Kim Jong-un's office and say, repent before God comes and does something about what you're doing. This would be like telling Martin Luther King Jr. in 1955 to go to Birmingham, Alabama alone to a Klan rally at night and stand up in the middle of the Klan rally and tell them they need to repent or else. This is what he's sending Jonah into. So whatever the worst place you can think that God would send you is where he is sending Jonah. This is the last place that they would have expected for God to send his prophet. What do you do when God calls you to go to the very place that you don't want to go? What do you do when God calls you to extend the grace to those who you know deserve it the least? What, what do you do when God calls you to extend an olive branch to someone you know that would take the olive branch and try to kill you with the olive branch? What, what do you do when God calls you to the same people that may just destroy you? God does not always send us where we want to go or ask us what we want to do or ask us what's comfortable for us. But we're all called to get up and go. But not always the place where we want to go. Here's what's noteworthy in the text about Jonah. Jonah receives a rare assignment to go speak to a Gentile nation when the mission of most of Israel's prophet was to speak to or against their own people. And so this is peculiar that God tells him to leave Israel and go to a foreign land. This is unprecedented and it's definitely not Jonah's preference. This was the last group of people he would witness to. But, but did Jonah forget that he should have known that God made a covenant with Israel during the days of Abram, that they were God's treasured possession, but that God, God had bound himself in a relationship with them, but, but that, that God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. However, I've chosen you. You're my favorite people. I've, uh, I've chosen you, but all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is Genesis 12. This is God's covenant with Israel that they will be his people, not anything they deserve, not anything that they earn. They were not good people. They were not numerous people, but God chose them through his own love for them. But the caveat is that privilege comes with responsibility. Privilege comes with responsibility. They forget that, that ever since the fall of man in the garden, God has been trying to redeem a people to himself. So this is what's before Jonah. You are to get up and go to the nations and tell them about my goodness. Warn them of my judgment for their sins, but tell them also about my salvation. Tell them that if they will repent and trust in me, they'll find mercy and forgiveness. I have a plan to redeem and reconcile the world to myself, and you, Jonah, and the rest of Israel are my chosen instruments to the world. And this is what we should take away from this. God calls all of us to get up and go. You see, God calls it for us. It's Genesis 12, just the, the New Testament version of Genesis chapter 12, the, the, the covenant with Abraham that, he, that all the nations would be blessed through him, essentially the Great Commission. And we've preached about it. We've talked about this ad nauseum here, but I think it bears repeating because this is the mission statement for every Christian. This is for all of us. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says this. This is for all of us. Jesus came near and said to them, this is the disciples, 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there, go, notice the word go, therefore make disciples of who? All nations, not just the people that you like, not just the people that you're comfortable with, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And remember, if you're scared, I'm always with you. The end of the age. This is what God has called all of us to do. But Jonah's probably thinking, the Syrians don't need an olive branch. They are so brutal and so savage and so ridiculous. They don't need salvation. They need judgment. You want me to go extend grace? Why? Well, well, nah, bruh. This is literally what Jonah is saying to God. Why Why would I do that? Jonah is thinking judgment. God is thinking mission. But God is not only thinking mission, God is thinking mercy. And this is one of the things that looms large over all of Jonah. God's scandalous mercy. Pastor, why do you call it scandalous? Because it doesn't make any sense. It's just ridiculous. This, this would be like somebody cuts you off in traffic on I-4, almost runs you off of the road. Mm. See that visceral reaction? That's what I was talking about. Almost runs you off the road, but somehow God speaks to you, gives you their phone number and says, call them and tell them that there's a state trooper up ahead and I want you to warn them that if they don't slow down, they'll get a ticket. And you thinking, oh, I want them to get a ticket. Oh, that's what they need. They'll learn a lesson if they get a ticket. I hope you give them a ticket for $500. I hope he sees what they did to me. I hope they catch him on the camera because they need to go to prison for running me off the road. So I ain't telling them nothing. You call them and tell them if you want to speak to them, God, the same way you call me, you can call them. If you're sovereign over me, you're sovereign over them. Call them. God said, no, I ain't calling them. You call them. The same one that almost killed you, ran you off the road, took your life, spare theirs. That makes sense to you now? What does God want them to do? He wants mercy for them. This is fundamental to who God is. He's a merciful God. This is his loving kindness. The Bible calls it the hesed, the the covenantal mercy of God. God is a God of love, kindness, and compassion. But let me tell you this. Mercy is not for the good person. Mercy is not for the deserving person. Mercy is not always given to those who even acknowledge their need for it. Mercy is God's own initiative and God's own doing. Tell you what mercy is. Mercy, give you a definition of it. Mercy is God's decision not to pour out wrath on people, but to provide for the forgiveness of their sins. It is not a matter of God forgetting or ignoring our sin. Rather, his mercy is seen in his choice not to hold our sins against us if we repent and believe. I've told you this a hundred times. God's grace is when he gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, eternal life, salvation. Mercy is when God does not give us what we actually do deserve, death. 
And so God is saying, I want you to extend mercy. You see, mercy, we don't like mercy because mercy is God's divine prerogative. You know, in the 80s, Bobby Brown said, it's my prerogative. Do what I want to do. God said, mercy is my prerogative. Give it to who I want to give. It's my, it's my, 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 my. I don't know why I feel like the spirit of R- the spirit of the king of R&B is in here. But God is saying the same thing. Mercy is my prerogative. Here's what you need to know. If, if it's about who, who deserves it, then guess who don't get it? We don't. Here's what Paul says in Romans 9, 15 through 16. Here's what Paul says, Romans 9, 15 through 16. Paul said this, for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy and I have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, hear this, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. So when God sends Jonah to Nineveh, it's not God being ridiculous it's a symbol of mercy to all Gentiles. God had already shown mercy to his people time and time and again. Jonah should have understood this better than anybody because his ministry was in a context of mercy. Let's read about Jonah's ministry. 2 Kings 14, 23 to 27. This will help you understand all of Jonah's issues. In the 15th year of Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight, in the Lord's sight. This is Jeroboam. This is who Jonah serves under. He did not turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit, talking about the one that was before him. He rest- Here's what God did for them. They're wicked. They're cruel. They're ungodly. He restored Israel's borders from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of God, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from gath Hepper. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. I told you before that you read that they were sinning, that they're God's people, they're sinning. What do they deserve? It says there, here in verse 27, the Lord had said he would not blot out the name, of, meaning he wouldn't kill them under heaven. So he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam. Here's what is happening. They are as wicked as wicked can be, living far beneath God's standard. And God is blessing them. They are experiencing an economic boom. They all are getting promotions. They're all getting raises. They're all getting degrees. They're all getting married. They're all finding their person. They're all manifesting. And they think God is with us. Don't ever confuse blessings with God's agreement with your lifestyle. Who he's blessing me. Not if you live in foul. That's called common grace. God ain't giving you what you deserve because God is bearing with you. 
God is giving you time. God is giving you time to repent and turn. But these crazy folks, instead of repenting because God is blessing them, they went further into their sin. And he spoke a word through Jonah that says, I'm going to extend their borders. They're going to be more blessed than they've ever been before. And so this is God's mercy to them. Jonah is well aware that they don't deserve these blessings. But because they're his own people, he doesn't mind sharing the good news. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. He doesn't mind telling them because he's comfortable with them. But God says, oh, if you're enjoying that mercy of mine, how about you also go tell some other people about the mercy? This is what's happening in the text. Go share that same mercy with the people that deserve it the least. And so we get to my third point, the craziness of disobedience. Because disobedience is absolutely crazy. Verse 3. God said to Jonah, get up and go. Verse 3 says, Jonah got up. We should have put a period right there. Everything would have been fine if we put a period right there. Jonah got up. But there's no period there. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish is not a suburb of Nineveh. This is not him saying, go to Orlando, and he finds himself in Winter Park. That's not what's happening. He says, flee to Tarshish from the Lord. He flee, he flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down. Down is critical in the story of Jonah. Every time you see down in the story of Jonah, all four chapters, you should underline it in your Bible. Jonah went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He paid to sin because sin is costly. He paid the fare, went down into it to go to them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And so when the, Bible, when the Bible recounts God calling people, they tend to can have a struggle with God's call. And they try to get out of it and reason with God and not submit to it. They'll reason with it. But, but that's not always the case. You know, Abraham, 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 hey, go leave your father's house and your kindred. We read about Abram before, and Abram left, but he kind of took some people with him. He obeyed, but... He didn't do it right, right? He struggled with it. God says, hey, you and your wife going to have a kid. And he's like, ha, you must not know. It ain't working, bruh. And so he struggles to obey, right? God calls him, but he still obeys. He says, hey, I need you to sacrifice your son. Guess what he does? He trusts God enough to go do something crazy. Moses, he calls Moses. Hey, I need you to go to speak to Pharaoh. Moses is like, who, me? I can't do that. I got a list. I can't talk straight. I'm not capable of doing this. God says, anyway, I'll give your brother Aaron to help you, but go do it anyway. Moses submits and does it, but he doesn't do it without a struggle. Isaiah, he calls Isaiah. Isaiah's like, yo, woe is me. I'm not good enough. I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. God says, I'll clean your lips. Isaiah goes and becomes a prophet. He calls Jeremiah. Jeremiah's like, no, I'm too young. I got to have fun. I got to go on a couple cruises with my friends. I just graduated. I can't be here every Sunday. I got stuff to do. I got to find my boo. We're going to serve God together in the future, but right now I got to be looking. I don't have time to be with God. (laughs) 
Paul, Paul, Paul gets knocked off his feet while he's persecuting Christians on the Damascus road. And he says, God says to Paul, you're the one that's persecuted me. And, and let's read Paul's call real quick. Acts 9, 4 through 6. Paul, if you don't read the Bible, he writes a large portion of the New Testament. Here's Paul's call. Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Fall into the ground. Hear the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Saul's name was Paul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Saul says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He replied, what does he say to Paul in verse 6? Get up. Go (laughs) into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. God ain't got to give you no details. The word for you today is just get up. Go. Do it. Whatever it is. Usually someone will try to reason with God, but we see they tend to reason, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm not me, I'm not, nah, that ain't my thing, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm cool over here doing what I'm comfortable doing. But God then reassures them, or he rebukes them, but they finally, they just say, you know what, God, I'm going to do what you called me to do. Jonah, Jesus. Jonah doesn't even say anything. Jonah's the first person in scripture he says I ain't even got time for this I'm gone he says I ain't got I'm not wrestling or reasoning I'm out of here and the next time we see Jonah he's down in Joppa he went down to Joppa he paid paid the fare and went down every time you see the word down that really means descending Because he will make a descending journey because every time you disobey God, you go down. And the author is trying to show us something that disobedience brings downfall. Joppa is this port city. He says, I'm going to go down this port city. Joppa, rent me a little boat, get me a crew. He had to pay for this. You got to really not want to do what God's calling you to do if you're willing to pay to get away from God. Tarshish is far. Let me show you how far Tarshish is. There's Jonah right in Gath Hepper. Joppa is where? Down. Where's Tarshish? As far away west as you could possibly go. He literally goes to the end of the earth to get away from God. I know what you're saying. I would never run that far. (laughs) You might not run that far physically, but you run there in your heart. And if we could take an x-ray of your heart, what God told you to do is in Jabbar, Israel, or Gath Hepper, your heart and your want to is way over here in Tarshish. This is how far he was willing to run from God. Now, does Jonah really think he's crazy enough to get away from God? He is the prophet of God. He's not crazy. He knows that God is sovereign. But here's what you need to know that's not obvious in the text. He goes down to Joppa and he goes to Tarshish because those are places that God's word is not revealed yet. So he's trying to get away from God and go to a place where God can't speak to him and he can't hear. 
So I know if I move away, God ain't going to speak to me there because the assignment was here. I know if I just stay in this relationship I'm not supposed to be in, God ain't going to speak to me. I know I don't bear the responsibility of doing what he told me to do. I know if I just sit right here in my comfort zone, I don't have to obey God and he's not going to speak to me. And this is what Jonah is doing, and this is the craziness of his disobedience. But I got news for you today. If you're running from God, I don't know if you're running from God physically or you're running from God because you're living in sin, and you think God is not where your sin is, let me read something to you. Here's what Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says about trying to escape from God. Here's what it says. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky... You're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I fly on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. You can't escape God. So stop running. Stop running. Well, I have a relationship with God. Yeah, but are you doing what God told you to do? This is sin, people. Sin is by fundamentally disobeying God and turning away from him. That map was what sin looks like. Every time we sin, we leave Gath Hepper and run to Tarshish. See, the problem with us is that we think that we have a problem with the thing that God is asking us to do. The problem ain't with the thing. You know what our problem is? Our problem is with God. It ain't the the thing he's asking you to stop doing or start doing. You got a problem with God. You have a problem doing what God is asking you to do. Jonah doesn't have a problem with assignment. Jonah has a problem with God. No, I ain't got to forget Nineveh. Why would you even ask me to do this? He can't think of one good logical reason why God would ask him to do that. And we are the same way because we don't believe that God is really good. And we don't believe that God actually knows what he is doing. We don't think God is God enough. Jonah is essentially saying, God, I know you, and you ain't, you ain't going to do nothing but something that I wouldn't do. And so I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. God, you don't know what you're doing. Tim Keller says that sin is always, sin always begins with the character assassination of God. Sin always begins with the character assassination of God. What happens in the garden? Did he really say that? Oh, he just don't want you to be like him. Oh, he just knows that if you eat this thing, you'll actually know what he knows. What is that called? That's character assassination. That's what we do when we sin. We don't believe that God is good and that he knows what he's doing. God, if I do what you want me to do and, and, and I give you control, I'll be miserable. I won't be able to do all the things that I'm used to doing. Why are you using me? I don't deserve this. I don't want that kind of pressure. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. 
Why are you asking me to do this? God, I got to look out for myself because I don't trust your goodness towards me. Here's what Tim Keller says in his book, Rediscovering Jonah. He says, Jonah wants a God of his own making, a God who simply smites the bad people, for instance, the wicked Ninevites, and blesses the good people. For instance, Jonah and his countrymen, the real God, not Jonah's counterfeit, keeps showing up. Jonah is thrown into fury and despair. Jonah finds real God to be an enigma because he can't reconcile the mercy of God with his justice. Here's what he's saying. The Ninevites are bad. They deserve punishment. But you're telling me to give them mercy. Just like us, he can't reconcile God's mercy with his justice. The person that did that to me, you're going to forgive them? You're going to extend grace to them? I might see them in heaven? All they have to do is repent and believe and trust in you, and we're on equal footing? Do you know what they've done? Do you know their past? Do you know how they harmed me? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how they stifled my life? Do you know how they walked out on me? Do you know how they didn't take care of me? Do you know how they hurt me? Do you know how they betrayed me? Do you know how they broke my heart? Do you know how they assassinated my character? Do you know how they did all of those things to me and you're still going to offer them mercy? Make it make sense. And this is the plight of not just Jonah, but all of us. He can't reconcile the mercy and justice of God. Jonah knows God. He knows him. This is why he doesn't want to do it. He knows if he goes over there and preaches to them and they return and repent, God will relent from the judgment. So I'd rather die than them have salvation. He doesn't want them to experience grace and mercy. He wants them to experience wrath, fire, and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah because that's what they deserve. And all Jonah's doing, like us, is revealing our self-righteousness. He is so obsessed with justice, he can't even do what God is asking him to do. You got to get them. They got to pay. You can't. Why are you letting them off the hook? Can't get off the hook that easy? They hurt me and they'll hurt us. So I can't do what you say do because I got to protect. I got to protect us because you ain't protecting us, God. And you know what? The Bible wants us to see something about Jonah. Here's why Jonah, I believe Jonah is biographical. It's because he wants us to see that the people had a solidarity with Jonah. Like all of Israel felt this way about the Ninevites. They felt this way as a people like we do. We don't want the bad people to get God's mercy. See, Jonah knows that God is merciful, but he didn't understand the depths of God's mercy. But he didn't, gotta, he didn't have to look to Nineveh for that. All he has to do is look in the mirror. If you want to know the depths of God's mercy, look in the mirror. We are no different. We wouldn't have wanted Nineveh to be saved either. Think about it. When God tells you, call that person, call him back. Go ahead, reconcile with them. I know it's rough. We don't readily say, God, send me and I'll go. Use me and I'll be a prophet to the nations. I'll do that if it's comfortable. I'll do that right from the comfort of where I am. But thank God he's not like us. Thank God he's not like us. That's what the gospel is. If you are in Christ, you who do not deserve mercy and grace received it in Christ Jesus. But see, God didn't send a reluctant prophet to us. 
He sent a willing prophet. He didn't send Jonah. He sent Jesus. He sent us a willing prophet who not only wanted to preach to us, but he gave his life for us. He didn't just give us a message. He became the message. He took on our life. He took on our sin. He took on our wickedness on the cross. And God said, send me. He says, I do whatever my father commands. I'll go wherever he wants me to go. Not my will, but his will be done. He gave us his life. And let me tell you something. We are no better than the people of Nineveh. But God has shown us mercy. And so I just want to say this to you. Missional living, living on mission, is simply an exercise in mercy. When we live on mission, all we're doing is being merciful. And if the goal of the Christian life is the glory of God, how much more glorious is it when God uses us to share with those we'd rather not share with? Here's what you need to know about mercy. God has enough for everybody. Read this quote and I'm done. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about God's mercy. God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. God's mercy is like an endless ocean. There is no end to it. This is what God has done for us. So I want to say to you today, if you are like Jonah, you know, typically we, we want to be the hero of the story. and We want to be a David and we want to be Abraham and Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 22. And we're willing to sacrifice whatever God asks us to sacrifice. No, this is a good time. You are Jonah. You are the disobedient. We are the disobedient prophets who don't want to do what God is telling us to do because we are self-righteous. We don't want mercy to those that we don't think deserve to have mercy, but God. You know what Ephesians tells us? But God, who is rich in mercy. The only time the Bible describes God as rich is when he tells us that God is rich in mercy. And so if you've ran from God today, if you've ran from the assignment, if you ran from God and he's been calling you to follow Jesus, to turn from your life, to repent of your sins and trust in him, today is the day for you to stop running. You can't outrun God. It is an exercise in futility. And maybe you're not physically running. You're like, I'm here in church. I'm here in church. I'm not running. But maybe you're running in your life. You might be in church, but far away from God. Let's stop assuming that everybody here is saved. Let's stop assuming that everybody that serves is saved. So today is an opportunity for you. If you're not in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus, he, this is a divine moment where he calls you and invites you into life with him. What do you have to do? Nothing. But by faith, trust in what he has already done for you by the finished work of his son Jesus on the cross who died for your sins but was raised to life. And in him we have forgiveness and eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. You and I don't deserve this, but God gives it to us as a free gift. So today, maybe you're running. 
Maybe you're running from a relationship with the Lord that he wants for you. You can stop running today. Instead of running from God, you can run with God. Or maybe you are running, you're a believer, but there are parts and pockets and elements of your life where you've compartmentalized your faith. And you are this person on Sundays and this person on some days, but then there's a completely different life that you live on other days. And God says you can't live this duplicitous life, but he calls us to integrity, to to be of singularity of heart and follow him. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it does mean that you will pursue life with God. So God extends his mercy. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, when you did it. Could have did it last night. Could have did it before you came to church. God's grace is sufficient. His mercy is more than enough. It it, it doesn't matter how bad it was. Jonah tried to leave off the face of the earth. And we'll see later in the story that you can't outrun God. So today is your day to stop running start surrendering. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.